0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash achieve today.
1: From 1047 WHUPLP Hillsboro, this is She and Her.
2: I always loved writing and I planned or in some way thought I might end up as a writer when I was growing up. I wrote poetry all the time, like starting when I was seven or eight years old, really terrible poetry. And I also loved music. And um, when I realized that I could put those two things together, it was
1: definitely an aha moment for me. That is Libby Rodenbow. Libby is a member of MIPSO, a band rooted right up the road from us in Carborough, with a reach and audience across the country. Libby joined us to talk about her relationship to music, to share the story of how she joined the band, and to play an original song.
3: I'd like to hear you talk about your relationship with music. When did you first fall in love with music? What are your earliest memories of music?
2: I don't know that my earliest memories are of love. I think that music was just sort of a part of my life from an early age, really because of church. I grew up singing in the church choir and that kind of thing. And then my older sister played violin. And for me, whatever she did was like, that's a done deal. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> so when I was, I think I was six, I started violin lessons. And then I did um, piano lessons at age eight. But I And I did the, both of those things all throughout up until I went to college. But they were very much just like a routine part of my life. I in no way thought of that as like, Personal expression. Hmm. It was just, some, it was like going to school or going to Girl Scouts or going to soccer practice. Like
1: just what I went you do. to my
2: violin recitals. Yeah. <laughs> How
1: about songwriting? Was that something that came more organically or didn't really come till later for you?
2: Songwriting
1: is something
2: that I don't think I really thought uh, that I had access to or something when I was younger. I think I wrote like a song or two about my greatest heartaches. <laughs> when I'm I was sure like 15 or 16, <laughs> but that was about it. And then really it took joining a band and being like, "Oh, there's like a there's a reason that I could write songs mm. for me to feel like I had access to that." I I get, I don't know why because My little sister wrote songs starting from the time she was like eight or nine years old, and it was all she cared about. And I should have just followed her example. (laughs) But for some reason, I was like, me, write song?
3: I'm not a songwriter. Come on. So did you grow up in a household that was listening to music a lot too? Like were your parents playing records or listening to the radio?
2: They certainly were not playing records. Um, They played, my mom played a lot of soundtracks from musicals. My dad is entirely tone deaf. <laughs> like
3: As is mine. He, he's the
2: epitome of like uh, they should do they should like record him to explain to people what tone, <laughs> this deafness is what tone is deaf is like. like. Maybe
3: they can make an album together. <laughs> it's really
2: amazing. like he's he cannot he has no concept of key and then even once he chooses a key to be in, like <laughs> the relative notes will have nothing to do with one another. So he, he's really, like, impressively tone deaf. It's really a, a thing to behold. Yeah, so what you're saying is you ran whenever he started singing. <laughs> Actually, he would wake us up in the morning by singing to us. Like, that was, like, oh, a punishment. No. Like, okay, we'll get out of bed now. He would sing, morning has broken. <laughs> oh, so, no.
1: no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> really,
2: really badly.
3: So what were you listening to when you were growing up? I was listening to,
2: I guess I listened to, like, a lot of church music and musicals and stuff. And then when I started to develop my own taste, it was very indie rock of the 2000s. I listened to a lot of Andrew Bird Mm -hmm. and, like... Um, Joanna Newsome, and Arcade Fire, and stuff like that.
3: No angst at all.
2: No, 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 I didn't have any feelings, Um, which was really nice. Most people around me during those ages were having a rough time. I'm sure. But it was smooth sailing
1: for me. So, I mean, you grew up with music as a part of your life, but sort of in a very organized way. When you came to college or when you left home, what was your relationship with music? What did you sort of think it was going to be as you grew up?
2: Well, I was originally going to be a music major and I i honestly I got into my my first semester of violin lessons and my professor was like why are you doing this like he didn't want to be offensive to me but he was sort of like you're not at the level that most people are when they want to be a violin performance major because mm. um, I, I mean I had, had played for 15 years but I did not really practice <laughs> um,
3: and did you go home and listen to Andrew Bird after that? Uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, a lot
2: of it got really deep that night. Um, but I realized, yeah, like, I'm not going to be in a symphony orchestra. I don't have that kind of dedication to being a classical violinist. So I kind of thought, well, I guess this is the end of the road. Mm. And I had a good run. And then, uh, actually, I met, I was friends with Joseph Terrell, who would become my bandmate in MIPSO. And he found out that I played violin and he asked if I wanted to jam sometime which I was casually like yeah sure whatever and in my head I was like what in the hell is jamming (laughs) what does that entail how does one jam Um, exactly google (laughs) and uh I did jam with him and I I'm sure I blocked it out because I'm sure it was terrible but (laughs) it did make me think like oh I could do that like me this person could do something like that And also, I did not like freshman year of college very much, so I was planning on taking a year off. And simultaneously, I was realizing that I could play music as a means of personal expression, Hmm. a very late realization in my life. And so I decided to go take some classes at this place called the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. And I wanted to go there because I read that um, John Prine and... Pete Seeger and some other people were associated with the founding of this school and I was hmm. getting into like a hardcore folky phase at that point so I went to that class the that school to uh, learn how to play guitar and uh, banjo and a little mandolin and basically just learn the basics of uh, playing music with other people hmm. like going to going to jam sessions and playing without cheap music, and understanding what a chord was. And it was a great crash course because most people there were beginners, and most people there were adult beginners. So it was a really welcoming environment. It was like 55-year-olds who knew nothing about music, had never played an Mm instrument before, picking up a guitar for the first time. So it was like... like, I
3: played violin for 15 years.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, they were actually... I think they were kind of... They probably sort of resented my presence for having like (laughs) training. But luckily when it came to more free form music playing I was just as much of a newbie as any Hmm. of them were so I did that for a while and while I was gone I was there for six months and while I was there back at UNC my three guy friends were forming this band called Mipso Trio and uh they recorded an EP in a friend's closet (laughs) and they wanted fiddle on it and they asked me if I would do it so I remotely they sent me the files and I in Chicago went to one of my teachers houses where he had like a little home studio oh, wow. and recorded violin on the very first ever recorded piece of music that Mipso made. And so then when, the groundwork was laid. That's right. That's right. Real I mean honestly I most of my learning how to play me, the kind of music that I play now has to do with Mipso. I don't think I would be doing it otherwise. Hmm. Um Which is kind of funny because it took me a long time to identify with Mipso and to even want to be a part of the group. But I have to be, I have to like give it, give that entity a lot of credit for the fact that I still play music because it's not something that I ever envisioned myself doing. And I think so much of like the possibilities you have are in your own mind. Hmm. You know, they're they're, the constraints on those possibilities are in your own mind. And, uh, it took it took having this opportunity to be on stage for me to just have this very simple realization that I could play music and that I could even do it, you know, for money, could do it as a job, which I would have thought was a really laughable notion <laughs> before meeting those guys.
3: Well, so you said your first year of college was the first year where you were like, "Hey, I can do this for personal expression." Talk about how that became a mechanism for you to process situations in your life, emotions that you were experiencing and dealing with?
2: Well, it was really, it, it, it's funny that it took me so long to realize it because I don't know what I did before hmm. as a as a way of uh, expressing myself. I don't know what, what I did when I had difficult emotional experiences because now it's like what I go to in a very knee-jerk way. Hmm. Like, I, I, I'm alone a lot because I live in Sacs and no one lives there and um, <laughs> I'll just be like in my house when we're home from tour with no obligations which is great and I'll just be in my room for like hours with a guitar and I don't say like I'm gonna sit down and work on my songs for a while it's just it just kind of is like this free-form um, I don't know like riffing se- session that I have with myself hmm. And it's really important to me, and I get really stressed out when we're on the road for a while, and I don't have access to that, like, alone time for writing. And by the time I get home, I need, like, three straight days of doing that.
1: Yeah. And it's very therapeutic. Coming up next, Libby will talk about how she formally joined MIMSO.
0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: Welcome back to She and Her. We're in the studio with Libby Rodembow of the band MIPSO. So you said um, that it took you a while to sort of identify or want to identify with MIPSO as a group. Can you talk a bit about that and and sort of how the relationship evolved between you remotely recording songs for the first EP and then really becoming a, a part of the group itself?
2: Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with um, the fact that they were these three really cute boys (laughs) who had all these love songs about women. Like, all the early MIPSO repertoire was really cutesy-folksy love songs, which people loved, and it was great. And it was easy music for me to learn how to play violin on. Mm. But I did not in any way identify with it. Like, it was not my voice in Mm. MIPSO at all. And furthermore, I really appreciated being like the side woman. I really liked that I could just kind of come on stage and do my thing and then leave. I was not concerned with the brand or any of the business side of it. It was this like purely musical relationship. Mostly just happened on stage and Mm -hmm. the occasional rehearsal. Not many rehearsals really. (laughs) Um, So it was very low stakes and it was just the level of reward that I wanted. And I almost felt a little invisible on stage because everyone was there to see them hmm. cuz they were the band and that was really freeing for me like growing up at every recital i cried pretty much before and after every <laughs> recital without fail cuz i just had i just had impossible standards for myself i won't even say high standards i just like was doomed to think i was bad at everything which is i think the curse of a lot of like high achievers it's it's a it's a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. you like you achieve a lot but you're never happy with yourself uh because of it. Anyway, the Mipso thing was such a different experience mm. because I didn't feel like anybody expected anything of me. Um and somehow I guess that allowed me to not have such expectations for myself. So there were lots of reasons and I guess I also was not really into the type of the music they were playing. They were they were all really into bluegrass, where they were as a band really into bluegrass, and that I was not interested in. It. I thought it was really cheesy. Hmm. I thought it was really show offy. Um, I liked old time, like I, there were there were types of acoustic traditional music that I was into, but that vein of it was like not my speed at all. Hmm. But the guys were very receptive, perhaps more receptive than I was being than I gave them credit for to the things I was interested in. And um, it's been an interesting evolution integrating my voice into the, the band. Um, it really It started to happen kind of without me noticing it. When I was getting ready to graduate, they had graduated the year prior to me. They had been touring for a year and they were making okay money. And they still wanted me to be in the band and I couldn't think of any reasons not to do it anymore. And at that point, I started c- contributing songs to the band. Hmm. And I, I had a hard time imagining my songs being done in that unit for some of those reasons that I talked about earlier, not feeling like I was really a part of that creative voice. Um, but it worked out pretty well. And they really liked my songs, and they wanted me to contribute songs. And that's continued to be the case. But it's, it's still difficult all the time. And I don't think it's just because of the of our particular kind of evolution of our relationship. I think it's just difficult to be in a band with people. Mm. I think it's really difficult to try to... And to have four songwriters, which we do. Right. And to try to combine our visions. Even if you were, like, nearly identical to somebody in musical taste, there would still be nuances that would cause these enormous riffs. Hmm. And... um we're all really close but we're super different types of people and we like different kinds of music we're attracted to different things in music Hmm. and uh it's like a daily constant negotiation between those little slightly
3: off visions yeah has your understanding and experience of being on stage changed since you became a formal member of the band
2: yeah, now I feel it's funny because now I like, I think I really own it. Um, like, I enjoy having attention on me, and I still don't have any stage fright, which is good. Um, but I'm, I do not feel invisible anymore, and I like the feeling of being visible. I did also, when I was a little kid, I also really wanted to be a Broadway actress, I guess, because my mom played hmm. musicals in our house all the time. <laughs> Show dudes. And I actually unsuccessfully auditioned for eight plays at the Greensboro (laughs) Children's Theater. That's amazing. Um, And every time I was, like, completely destroyed. I don't know why my parents let me keep doing it. Uh, Anyway, I do have that, like – spotlight loving side of myself mm-hmm. and somehow I figured I identified it and brought it back out again <laughs> being a mid-self.
1: Was there a moment for you either in rehearsal or on stage um, when one of your songs was being performed where you finally felt like yes like I'm a part of this group this is what I should be doing right now a sense of sort of pride in being part of that entity? I think The first
2: time we recorded a song of mine, I had that when we got back the recording, and I was hearing my voice, and I hadn't really heard my voice singing lead with that group ever before, and uh, hearing the recording, and I was like, oh, this is like a real piece of music that I wrote. What was that song? Uh, It was called called Down in the Water. Okay. Yeah. And we recorded it with um, Brad Cook from Megaphone and plays with a ton of bands around here who... I think a lot of and he produced it and there were some amazing musicians uh like playing drums on it and stuff like that so at that felt I had a lot of pride in that I think being part of the triangle music scene gives me a lot of pride because I really respect the people that were around there's such good music here and for us to feel like we belong among them is very gratifying because I still feel really I still feel really young, and I feel like a novice. I think because I had never envisioned myself being a musician. I still sometimes, even when I tell somebody I'm a musician for a living, I almost feel like I'm lying.
0: But I'm not. <laughs> I
2: mean, that is what I do. Yeah. It's just like I want to be like I'm a musician, but I'm not that good.
3: Like,
2: <laughs> don't get any ideas. Right.
3: Well. And kind of how I understand you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you are also a student of music tradition, so you've made a point to learn a lot about traditional music, and talk about sort of this multifaceted approach you have to the music community and this story of music.
2: Well, I actually was just this past weekend at Mount Airy at the Fiddle Convention, Um, and it was really great being there, but it was... Interesting, it's been a long time since I've been to any of these old-time things because MIPSO is usually so busy in the summers that I just don't get a chance to do it. And I've been kind of in like a more bluegrassy mindset because our band tends that way. And um, being at Mount Airy, I remembered how in love with old-time music I was like five or six years ago when I first discovered it and when I was in all these folklore classes and stuff. And it was great to remember that and and to realize that I still loved the music but also it was sad to be reminded that I don't really feel like a part of that community because there's not there's some kind of um, there's some kind of ownership of tradition that I don't feel like I have access to because I was raised in the suburbs in Greensboro and grew up playing Suzuki classical violin and (laughs) had never heard old time music till I was in college you know Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like an outsider even though I'm from the region and I have there I I could I could tease out some like ostensible connections to traditional music I'm sure (laughs) but um my identity as like a, a student of folklore and my identity as a musician don't always feel like they are connected um I like to try to connect them. And th- sometimes the songs that I write are, I mean, they're certainly informed, even in subconscious ways, by all the folk music that I've listened to, and especially the string band music from around here. But they always have felt like they exist in kind of s- separate spheres, like I have to put on my academic hat hmm. to go to Mount Airy.
3: Yeah. Well, before we turn to a song, I have one other question. So something that often comes up on our show and it's come up even on an episode that we did with Girls Rock, where they are educating young girls about music. This notion of being a female musician or a woman musician, I wonder if you identify with that label. Do you reject that label? How do you think about that?
2: Well, I think that even if I rejected that label I can't deny the experience like I can't deny that my experience is different as a woman I mean for one thing I'm the minority in my own band and then I'm the minority especially in our genre but also in the whole world of professional musicians Mm -hmm. so um to say that I, I I understand the sentiment behind rejecting the label but it's so it's at the forefront of my mind so often that I'm a woman I mean I think that there's this extra burden that my male bandmates don't have every time they get on stage or do a radio interview where I feel like I'm speaking for women at Mm -hmm. some level whether or not that's true I don't think my bandmates ever think like you know they don't have this extra layer of consideration like well, Mm -hmm. on behalf of men, what do I want to say? Exactly, (laughs) right. Whereas I think about that, even if it's just uh, sort of like a little veneer of thought, like Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a deep existential crisis every time, but I think about that at some level every time I get dressed for a show Mm -hmm. and um, every time I talk about music um, in any kind of public way or even in a a one-on-one conversation with people, and um I think all the time about young women who see me at shows and what what I'd want them to come away uh with because there weren't a lot of female musicians that I was exposed to when I was younger and sometimes I think I could have I could have felt like I had access to all this stuff hmm. so much earlier if somebody if the right person had gotten through to me and said like you can do this mm-hmm. anybody can do this I'm not saying that the, the barriers were explicitly because of my gender but I think it would be, it would just be like naive to pretend that that's not part of all the limitations that I might feel in the world. Um, it's not necessarily like an explicit cause that I'm constantly thinking about. It's, it's a part of my whole orientation in the world and I'm forced to think about it because of the demographic realities of my field.
1: Totally. Yeah. Well, we probably have time for one song.
3: What are you going to play first tonight? If
1: okay. You um,
2: I'm going to play a song that I, we don't do with Mipso because I never uh, perform anything that we don't do with Mipso, Great. and it's called The Last Time, and it's about just doubt, which is, I feel like, my, my constant companion in life. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. That's the last time. a memory to my soul Love
1: it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank
3: you for having me. <laughs> I'm ready for our album, Libby. <laughs> All right. <You> got it. <laughs> great. I'll get right on it. Get okay. Right on great. It. Thanks, y'all, for listening. If you like us, tell us how you feel about us in a note on iTunes. And we're also. Um, occasionally around on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> You'll see more of us there soon. Oh, you will. <laughs> and yes. All right. Until next time. Bye bye.